Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this morning, I'd like to reflect on our psalm reading, Psalm 139, which I think is one of the most beautiful psalms in in the in the Psalter, in the book of Psalms, written by David. And so I want to take some time to reflect on these truths here. It is a beautiful psalm, but uh, it was written in ugly circumstances, or at least it came out of an ugly reality in David's life. Uh, at the end of the psalm, and it's not printed in your bulletin, but... David cries out to God, Oh, that you would slay wicked men, bloodthirsty men who are my enemies. And so um, he's asking God, a just God, to intervene as he faces the threat of enemies. And we know, of course, from David's life that he faced many enemies. Many people who wanted to kill him. We all know the story of David and Goliath as a young man, maybe an older teenager. He had to face Goliath. And Goliath said to him as David came out to confront him, Goliath said, I am going to feed your flesh to the birds and to the beasts of the field. David knew what it was to face bloodthirsty men who could kill him. And then after he, he defeated Goliath, remember what happened? He came into King Saul's service. And Saul became overcome with jealousy towards David. And one time threw a spear at him. And then David had to run from Saul to flee for his life for many years. And then God secured the throne for David. But even then, after David became king of Israel... Uh, something terrible happened, and, and one of the most difficult and dark seasons of David's life was that his own son, Absalom, led a conspiracy against his father to take the throne from him. And once again, David had to run from an enemy who wanted to kill him. And so when David talks about, at the end of this psalm, my enemies, bloodthirsty men. He's not using metaphor. He's dealing with the harsh, terrible reality in his life. He knows about stress. He knows about suffering. He knows what it is to face threats to his very life. And in this psalm, we hear what sustained David, these truths, and what will sustain you and me in dark, difficult, confusing, confounding, stressful circumstances of life. And it's this. This is the truth that Psalm 139 wants us to get into our hearts and minds that God knows and cares for me. I can go through this with hope 
Because God knows me. God cares for me. Simple truth that David knew. God knows all about us, David says. He says, you know when I sit and when I rise up. God knows our actions. God knows our thoughts. You discern my thoughts from afar. You know, we can't know what another person is thinking. We can't read each other's minds, thank God. (laughs) You, You can only know what somebody is thinking if they communicate that to you with their words or actions. And, and, and yet, David is saying, God knows our thoughts from afar. Before we act and before we speak, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows our thoughts. God knows what we do. God knows what we say. He knows all about us. Now, on the one hand, this ought to provoke some sense of fear and reverence before God, that I am living my life before the eyes of a holy God. Hebrews 4.13 says that there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes to whom we must give an account. So that's part of the dimension of this. The response to this is that I I live my life under the, the gaze of God. And so thus we pray, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. But for David, this truth that God knows all about him is also a great comfort. And I think that's the most important part here. I think that's the the dominant thought in this psalm. That this is a great comfort that God knows all about me. God knows all about me, not to shame me. Not to expose me. God knows all about me. And therefore, God can give me the help that I need. The strength that I need. In fact, he says, you are acquainted with all of my ways. And and that word acquainted is an interesting word as I studied it this week. The word means in the original something like this. It has this sense The sense of being intimately familiar with someone in order to be of service to them. Acquainted. And then I discovered something fascinating and wonderful. At least it was fascinating and wonderful to me this week as I did this study. Is that this this word. So there's a scene in 1 Kings chapter 1 when David's an old man. He's nearing the end of his life. He needs extra help. And they bring in a woman to help him. And the, the woman is of service. This young woman is of service to David. Some, some translations say that she became of service to him. But in other translations, the word is translated nurse. She became a nurse to him. It's the same word as acquainted here. A, a nurse is somebody, and my wife is going through nursing school, so I've heard all about this. A nurse, of course, is somebody, if they're a good nurse... He or she is going to get acquainted with the patient. And Josie's had some very good clinical instructors who said, your job is to make a personal connection with this patient. There needs to be a personal connection. 
not just look at them as a as a list of symptoms, but you need to know something about them. And, and from that place of connection, there can be a place of care. And the, the more that you know about them and what's going on, the more you can help them. And that's what David is saying here. God, you are acquainted with all my ways. You know what I think. You know what I do. You know what I say. And therefore, you can give me. In dark and difficult times. What I need. There's a comfort that comes from this. That God knows all about us. And not only does God know all about us, but God is always with us, David says. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, Sheol, the dwelling place of the dead, the, a place of darkness, a, a place of gloom, a place of death. If I make my bed in Sheol, even there you're with me. Friends, death does not seal us off from the presence of God. Death does not seal us off. We know this even better than David did because we serve a risen Savior who defeated death. And we remember um, what David said in his, in his most famous psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil because you're with me. You're with me even there. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 38, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the very first thing he talks about is death. He says, neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, or depths, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There's no circumstance that is outside the reach of God for His people. There is no place that you can go outside the reach of God's loving presence. That's what David is saying. He's always with us. Uh, he, he writes, if I take the wings of the morning, which is a beautiful phrase. It's, it's, it's uh, of course, it's, it's poetry. It, it refers to the rays of the rising sun, the wings of the morning, the sun coming from the east. And he says, if, if, I, if I go out to the east where the rising sun is, the wings of the morning, and then I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. And the ancient Israelites, for them, the sea was west. And so he's saying, if I go from horizon to horizon, even there you're going to be with me. To the very edges of creation, you will be with me. So knowing that God is always with us, yes, that, that should lead us to live our lives in reverence before God. But it's also a great comfort. He's always with us. And where He's with us, He will sustain and guide us. And that's where David says here in this, he says, even there your hand is, is it will be there to lead me. Your hand will, shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He's with us. To lead us. 
He's with us to sustain us. You can have somebody with you that doesn't do you a whole lot of good. They're along for the ride. But God is there with his hand. He says to lead you through dark times. To sustain you when you're on the edge. And I wonder if you can look back on your life. And you can think of dark times. Where you were going through something. You did not know how it was going to turn out. And you did not know where to turn. Except to God. And you can look back on that time in your life and you can say, now with the hindsight of having lived through it, that God was there. God's hand was leading me through this time and God was sustaining me through this time. I know some of you can can testify to that. I've heard the stories. And maybe you're there today in a dark and difficult and confusing situation. And, and let this truth sink deep into you. That God is with you. That His hand will lead you. That His hand will sustain you. There are many of us here who can testify. Maybe there's somebody who's going through something today where that is exactly what they need to know. Believe this truth. God is with you. There are, there are people who will say, well, you know, that's okay for certain people. Now, this is okay for weak people. If you need God as a crutch in your life, then if it works for you, fine. But I don't, I don't need a crutch. I don't want a crutch. I'm going to just face whatever life throws my way. I'm going to stand on my own two feet. I'm going to face the darkness and the difficulty. There's, all, there's for all of us going to be times where... We're going to be in desperate need for a power greater than we have. I, I remember reading last year, actually listening to a book about Winston Churchill as a young man. He went off to fight in South, America, uh, South Africa in the Boer War. He wanted to gain some fame and prominence by doing something heroic in this war. And uh, before he went to... Uh, fight a couple of years before he had written to his mother and he wrote a letter and he said, you know, there's going to come a day when uh, people will no longer rely on Christianity as a crutch and that we will be able to uh, stand, as he put it, man will stand erect on the firm legs of reason. He wrote that to his mother. And then he got into this war. And he actually ended up as a prisoner of war. And it's an amazing story. And he escaped from the prison and then he was a hunted man. He was chased down. He got to a spot where he was in the woods and hiding and the enemies were surrounding him and he did not know what to do. And uh, the writer says this about Churchill. With no new ideas... No clever plans, no strutting confidence in the strength of his mind and agility of his young body. Churchill was forced to admit he needed help. So he did the only thing he could think to do. He wrote, I prayed long and earnestly. And without the assistance of that higher power, I could never succeed. 
They face this moment. <laughs> no confidence in his reason, no confidence in his physical ability, nowhere else to turn. And we all face those times, don't we? We will all face those times when we need the hand of God to lead us, to sustain us. And for the people of God, it's not just in times of crisis, but every single day. Paul, David had developed this relationship with God where it was an ongoing daily relationship so that when he got to the times of crisis, he knew that God knew him, that God cared for him, that God was with him. David says that God knows us. God cares for us because God is our creator. God is our creators care for their creation. If you're an artist and you've painted something, you care about that. You want people to see it and appreciate it. And you know that painting better than anybody else. If you're an author of a book, if you're a, a business owner, you've created a business, you care about that business. You know it inside and out. As parents, we care more than anyone else about our children. God is our creator. David celebrates that. For you form me in my inward parts, my interior life, my emotions, my mind, my conscience. You're the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance as an embryo. You saw me, God. And what a truth we need to recover today. A truth that says we are not just matter. That's how some people think about human life today, that we're just a collection of molecules and neurons, hunks of matter fired by neurons. The Bible says, no, we're more than that. We have more dignity than that and purpose and worth. But God is our ultimate creator. And that gives dignity to all People, the young and the old, the beautiful and the not so, the sick and the healthy, the able-bodied and the disabled. Jill Bricker is a, a Christian speaker and performer. She's an aerialist. She performs acrobatics on ropes and silks and rings. She was born... Without any legs. She was born without any legs and her biological family gave her up for adoption. And a loving family brought her in. And in her presentations, in her writings, in her videos, she says, I was not a mistake. I am not a mistake. God has a purpose for my life. She says, my life isn't easy. It's not been easy. But if my life was easy and comfortable, then I would have never uh, striven to, to be a performer. I, I would have never seen the world as a performer. And she said, and I wouldn't be as close to God as I am if my life was easy. All people are created in the image of God and all people ought to be protected. This is why we believe this, that all people ought to be protected from the womb to the tomb. God is our creator. And God not only is our creator, but God is sovereign over our lives. David says 
In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. In your book, God, was written my days before they even began. God determines the time of our birth. God determines the time of our death. And there's nothing that happens in between that shocks or surprises God. Our days are in his book. Now, when we're going through these days, when we're in the middle of the book, when we're in the middle of the story, especially when we face things like David was facing, people who want to kill him, an existential crisis, the threat of his very life, confusion, and seeing the wickedness and the injustice of it all, especially when we face those things. In the middle of this story, we ask, why? Why is God putting me through this? And we don't get all the answers to that. We don't get the answers, all the answers to why. But in this psalm, we get the answer to who. Who will get us through? Who will sustain us? You know, even if you had the answer to why, that, that would help, I think, from a psychological point of view to a certain extent. But you still have to go through it. It's like when I was playing basketball, a coach would say, we're going to run suicides today. Why? Because you need to be conditioned for the game. All right. I still had to run the suicides. Still exhausted. Still hurt. So even if we had all the answers, we we still have to go through it. And the question is how and who? And the answer is God. The God who knows me. The God who's always known me. The, The God who is always with me. The God who created me. The God who redeemed me in Jesus Christ by the blood of his son. It seems incredible, doesn't it? It seems almost presumptuous to think that God, who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, would care about me. Little me. It is incredible. And David found it incredible too. He found this thought staggering. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot get to this. Even if I could climb, I still couldn't get to it. It's so staggering to think about this. How vast are your thoughts, O God? If I would count them, there are more than the sand. Google says, scientists estimate that the earth contains 7.5 sextillion sand grains. That is 75 followed by 17 zeros. That's an estimate. And the vastness of God's thoughts are more than the grains of sand. 75 followed by... 17 zeros. We can't count the grains of sand. We cannot comprehend the mind of God. But like David, isn't it wonderful that we can know him? That we can know that he knows us? That we can grow in trust in this God through prayer and praise? J.I. Packer has this quote in his book, and I'll end with this. In his book on knowing God, and he talks about being known by God. 
He says it's an unspeakable comfort to know that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love. That he's watching over me for my good. You see, he's acquainted with our ways. Like a nurse. He's watching over me for my good. There's tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point in prior knowledge of the worst about me. Nothing that I can do will disillusion him about me. He sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow men do not see. Thank God for that, that they don't see it, but he does. He sees all the corruption in me, which I can't see in myself. Yet he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize that purpose. It's incredible. It leads us to wonder. It leads us to love. It leads us to praise. And I don't know what you might be going through in your life. Maybe dark times, difficult times like David. The call is to trust that God is who he says he is and to lean into that trust through prayer and praise. Let's pray. Lord, help us to do just that. To take these truths and apply them to our lives. To seek you in the midst of struggle and to be comforted by the truth that you know you know, you know, our times are in your hands. You know what we're going through. You are with us to strengthen us. You are our creator and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.